of Human Bondage by W. Somerset Maugham. Chapter 95, Segment 1. When they returned to London, Philip began his dressing in the surgical wards. He was not so much interested in surgery as in medicine, which a more empirical science offered greater scope to the imagination. The work was a little harder than the corresponding work on the medical side. There was a lecture from nine till ten. When he went into the wards, their wounds had to be dressed, stitches taken out, bandages renewed. Philip prided himself a little on his skill in bandaging, and it amused him to wring a word of approval from a nurse. On certain afternoons in the week there were operations, and he stood in the well of the theater in a white jacket, ready to hand the operating surgeon any instrument he wanted, or to sponge the blood away so that he could see what he was about. When some rare operation was to be performed, the theater would fill up. But generally, there were not more than half a dozen students present, and then the proceedings had a coziness which Philip enjoyed. At that time, the world at large seemed to have a passion for appendicitis, and a good many cases came to the operating theater for this complaint. The surgeon for whom Philip dressed was in a friendly rivalry with a colleague as to which could remove an appendix in the shortest time and with the smallest incision. In due course, Philip was put on accident duty. The dressers took turns at this. It lasted for three days, during which they lived in the hospital and ate their meals in the common room. They had a room on the ground floor near the casualty ward, with a bed that shut up during the day into a cupboard. The dresser on duty had to be at hand day or night to see any casualty that came in. You were on the move all the time, and not more than an hour or two passed during the night without the clanging of the bell just above your head, which made you leap out of bed instinctively. Saturday night was, of course, the busiest time, and the closing of the public houses the busiest hour. Men would be brought in by the police, dead drunk, and it would be necessary to administer a stomach pump. Women, rather the worse for liquor themselves, would come in with a wound on the head or a bleeding nose which their husbands had given them. Some would vow to have the law on him, and others, ashamed, would declare that it had been an accident. What the dresser could manage himself, he did, but if there was anything important, he sent for the house surgeon. He did this with care, since the house surgeon was not vastly pleased to be dragged down five flights of stairs for nothing. The cases ranged from a cut finger to a cut throat. Boys came in with hands mangled by some machine. Men were brought who had been knocked down by a cab, and children who had broken a limb while playing. Now and then attempted suicides were carried in by the police. Philip saw a ghastly, wild-eyed man with a great gash from ear to ear, and he was in the ward for weeks afterwards in charge of a constable, silent, angry because he was alive, and sullen. He made no secret of the fact that he would try again to kill himself as soon as he was released. The wards were crowded, and the house surgeon was faced with a dilemma when patients were brought in by the police. If they were sent on to the station and died there, disagreeable things were said in the papers, and it was very difficult sometimes to tell if a man was dying or drunk. Philip could not go to bed till he was tired out, so that he should not have the bother of getting up again in an hour. And he sat in the casualty ward, talking in the intervals of work, with the night nurse. She was a gray-haired woman of masculine appearance, who had been night nurse in the casualty department for twenty years. She liked the work because she was at her own mistress, and had no sister to bother her. Her movements were slow, but she was immensely capable, and she never failed in an emergency. 
the dressers, often inexperienced or nervous, found her a tower of strength. She had seen thousands of them, and they made no impression upon her. She always called them Mr. Brown, and when they expostulated and told her their real names, she merely nodded and went on calling them Mr. Brown. It interested Philip to sit with her in the bare room with its two horsehair couches and the flaring gas and listen to her. She had long ceased to look upon the people who came in as human beings. They were drunks or broken arms or cut throats. She took the vice and misery and cruelty of the world as a matter of course. She found nothing to praise or blame in human actions. She accepted. She had a certain grim humor. I remember one suicide, she said to Philip, who threw himself into the Thames. They fished him out and brought him here, and ten days later he developed typhoid fever from swallowing Thames water. Did he die? Yes, he died all right. I could never make up my mind if it was suicide or not. They're a funny lot, suicides. I remember a man who couldn't get any work to do, and his wife died, so he pawned his clothes and bought a revolver. But he made a mess of it. He only shot out an eye, and he got all right. And then, if you please, with an eye gone and a piece of his face blown away, he came to the conclusion that the world wasn't such a bad place after all, and he lived happily ever afterwards. Thing I've always noticed, people don't commit suicide for love, as you'd expect. That's just a fancy of novelists. They commit suicide because they haven't got any money. I wonder why that is. I suppose money's more important than love, suggested Philip. Money was, in any case, occupying Philip's thought as a good deal just then. He discovered the little truth there was in the airy saying which himself had repeated that two could live as cheaply as one, and his expenses were beginning to worry him. Mildred was not a good manager, and it cost them as much to live as if they had eaten in restaurants. The child needed clothes, and Mildred boots, an umbrella, and other small things which it was impossible for her to do without. When they returned from Brighton, she had announced her intention of getting a job, but she took no definite steps, and presently a bad cold laid her up for a fortnight. When she was well, she answered one or two advertisements, but nothing came of it. Either she arrived too late and the vacant place was filled, or the work was more than she felt strong enough to do. Once she got an offer, but the wages were only fourteen shillings a week, and she thought she was worth more than that. "'It's no good letting oneself be put upon,' she remarked. "'People don't respect you if you let yourself go too cheap.' "'I don't think fourteen shillings is so bad,' answered Philip dryly. He could not help thinking how useful it would be towards the expenses of the household, and Mildred was already beginning to hint that she did not get a place because she did not get a decent dress to interview employers in.' She gave, he gave her the dress, and she made one or two more attempts, but Philip came to the conclusion that they were not serious. She did not want to work. The only way he knew to make money was on the stock exchange, and he was very anxious to repeat the lucky experiment of the summer. But war had broken out with the Transvaal, and nothing was doing in South Africans. McAllister told him that Redvers Buller would march into Pretoria in a month, and then everything would boom. The only thing was to wait patiently. What they wanted was a British reverse to knock things down a bit, and then it would be worthwhile buying. Philip began reading assiduously the city chat of his favorite newspaper. He was worried and irritable. Once or twice he spoke sharply to Mildred, and since she was neither tactful nor patient, she answered with temper, and they quarreled. 
Philip always expressed his regret for what he had said, but Mildred had not a forgiving nature, and she would sulk for a couple of days. She got on his nerves in all sorts of ways, by the manner in which she ate, and by the untidiness which made her leave articles of clothing about the sitting-room. Philip was excited about the war, and devoured the papers morning and evening, but she took no interest in anything that happened. She made... She had made the acquaintance of two or three people who lived in the street, and one of them had asked if she would like the curate to call on her. She wore a wedding, a wedding ring and called herself Mrs. Carey. On Philip's walls were two or three of the drawings which he had made in Paris, nudes, two of women, and one of Miguel Ahoria, standing very square on his feet with clenched fists. Philip kept them because they were the best things he had ever done, and they reminded him of happy days. Mildred had long looked at them with disfavor. "'I wish you'd take those drawings down, Philip,' she said to him at last. "'Mrs. Foreman, of number 13, came in yesterday afternoon, and I didn't know which way to look. I saw her staring at them. What's the matter with them? They're indecent, disgusting, that's what I call it, to have drawings of naked people about. And it isn't nice for Baby, either. She's beginning to notice things now. How can you be so vulgar?' "'Vulgar?' "'Modest, I call it. I've never said anything, but do you think I like having to look at those naked people all day long? "'Have you no sense of humor at all, Mildred?' he asked frigidly. "'I don't know what sense of humor's got to do with it. I've got a good mind to take them down myself. "'If you want to know what I think about them, I think they're disgusting.' "'I don't want to know what you think about them, and I forbid you to touch them.' "'When Mildred was cross with him, she punished him through the baby.' The little girl was as fond of Philip as he was of her, and it was her great pleasure every morning to crawl into his room, she was getting on for two now, and could walk pretty well, and be taken up into his bed. When Mildred stopped this, the poor child would cry bitterly. To Philip's remonstrances, she replied, I don't want her to get into habits. And if, and, and if then he said anything more, she said, It's nothing to do with you, what I do with my child. "'To hear you talk, one would think you was her father. "'I'm her mother, and I ought to know what's good for her, aren't I?' "'Philip was exasperated by Mildred's stupidity, "'but he was so indifferent to her by now "'that it was only at times she made him angry. "'He grew used to having her about. "'Christmas came, and with it a couple of days' holiday for Philip. "'He brought some holly in and decorated the flat, "'and on Christmas Day he gave small presents to Mildred and the baby.' There were only two of them, so they could have, so they could not have a turkey. But Mildred roasted a chicken and boiled a Christmas pudding, which she had bought at a local grocer's. They stood themselves a bottle of wine. When they had dined, Philip sat in his armchair by the fire, smoking his pipe, and the unaccustomed wine had made him forget for a while the anxiety about money, which was so constantly with him. He felt happy and comfortable. Presently Mildred came in to tell him that the baby wanted him to kiss her good night, and with a smile he went into Mildred's bedroom. Then, telling the child to go to sleep, he turned down the gas, and leaving the door open in case she cried, went back to sitting in his chair. End of segment one. Chapter 95, Segment 2 "'Where are you going to sit?' he asked Mildred. "'You sit in your chair. I'm going to sit on the floor.' 
When he sat down, she settled herself in front of the fire and leaned against his knees. He could not help remembering that this was how they sat together in her rooms in the Wall Hall Bridge Road. But the positions had been reversed. It was he who had sat on the floor and leaned his head against her knee. How passionately he had loved her then! Now he felt for her a tenderness he had not known for a long time. He seemed still to feel twined around his neck the baby's soft little arms. "'Are you comfy?' he asked. She looked up at him, gave a slight smile, and nodded. They gazed into the fire dreamily without speaking to one another. At last she turned round and stared at him curiously. "'Do you know that you haven't kissed me once since I came here?' she said suddenly. "'Do you want me to?' he smiled. "'I suppose you don't care for me in that way any more. "'I'm very fond of you. "'You're much fonder of baby.' "'He did not answer, and she laid her cheek against his hand. "'You're not angry with me any more?' she asked presently, with her eyes cast down. "'Why on earth should I be? "'I've never cared for you as I do now. "'It's only since I passed through the fire that I've learned to love you.' "'It chilled Philip to hear her make use of the sort of phrase she had read in the penny novelettes which she devoured. Then he wondered whether what she said had any meaning for her. Perhaps she knew no other way to express her genuine feelings than the stilted language of the family herald. It seemed so funny our living together like this. He did not reply for quite a long time, and silence fell upon them again, but at last he spoke and seemed conscious of no interval. You mustn't be angry with me. One can't help these things. I remember that I thought you wicked and cruel because you did this, that, and the other, but it was very silly of me. You didn't love me, and it was absurd to blame you for that. I thought I could make you love me, but I know now that was impossible. I don't know what it is that makes someone love you, but whatever it is, it's the only thing that matters, and if it isn't there, you won't create it by kindness or generosity or anything of that sort. I should have thought if you loved me really, you'd have loved me still. I should have thought so, too. I remember how I used to think that it would last forever. I felt I would rather die than be without you. And I used to long for the time when you would be faded and wrinkled so that nobody would care for you anymore and I should have you all to myself. She did not answer, and presently she got up and said she was going to bed. She gave a timid little smile. It's Christmas Day, Philip. Won't you kiss me good night? He gave a laugh blushed slightly and kissed her. She went to her bedroom, and he began to read. End of segment two.